millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, February 14th. February 4th. I'm Karen Brown and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the State Health Department responds to a hepatitis A outbreak. Then, universities struggle to compete for faculty and staff. And a Mississippi tech company wants the state to invest more in computer science education. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Mississippi Department of Health is investigating an outbreak of hepatitis A across Mississippi. Since April of 2019, there have been 149 cases of hepatitis A, marking a period of sustained transmission across the state. The most recent case involved a restaurant worker in Vicksburg. Dr. Catherine Taylor is the deputy state epidemiologist. She tells our Kobe Vance the department is investigating each case to prevent the spread of the disease. We have um, had our epidemiology staff do a contact investigation um, around this case to see if there's any close contacts at risk and have provided vaccine where appropriate. Um, In general, um, in cases where the the case is a food handler, um, the risk of transmission is low. So we offer vaccine out of an abundance of caution, but we, um, we have not so far in this outbreak since April uh, that's nationwide have had, we've not in Mississippi had any cases of foodborne worker, uh, food worker transmission. And so what do y'all do to like uh, keep up with these kind of things, make sure that like um, that people that are sick aren't coming into work and people that are, uh, if, if somebody is, does come into work, they don't transmit disease. Um, so hepatitis A is reportable uh, in the state of Mississippi. So when um, labs or physicians have a case, they contact us. And our epidemiology staff um, around every case of hepatitis does an appropriate contact investigation. Um, We counsel the patient on appropriate hygiene and provide um, post-exposure prophylaxis to anyone who may have been exposed um, as a close contact to each case. 
Now, you mentioned like a close contact investigation. Can you explain a little bit about that and what that what y'all do in that process? Sure. Um, we we usually will interview the patient and find out, um, you know, during their infectious period who they may have been in close contact with. So that's often uh, family members and close friends, anyone they would have spent time with or shared a meal with. Um, it, this isn't going to be um, spread from somebody that you happen to have a conversation with at the grocery store. This is going to be somebody you spend more time with. And so in those cases, when we find those people that have had that kind of close contact, we will offer um, vaccine to hopefully prevent um, hepatitis A in those contacts. Um, well, in that case, is there anything else that you think is important for the, like the citizens of Mississippi to understand about like maybe this, but also like other cases of making sure disease doesn't spread in restaurants? Sure. Um, so uh, I want to just answer the question in general about hepatitis A. Um, the the restaurant is probably one of the least concerns for this current outbreak that's been going on in the state of Mississippi since April of last year. Um, so we've had this outbreak that is affecting primarily um, people who use drugs, people who have unstable housing, um, people who have either been recently incarcerated or are currently incarcerated, and then also in men who have sex with men. And so those are sort of the higher risk groups that we've seen primarily. But hepatitis A can spread um, in the general public as well. Um, you know, and as far as uh, other infections that can be um, concerning in restaurants, um, you know, people people are in restaurants, so it could be anything, flu or really anything. How widespread is the uh, the hepatitis outbreak right now? Um, the specific case numbers are available on our website, but we're over 140 cases um, in Mississippi since the onset of our outbreak in April. Is that for, I guess, context, is that a large outbreak in your opinion? Um, for Mississippi, yes. Um, so up until this outbreak started, our case numbers were um, pretty significantly lower, so usually less than 10 a year. Um, although across the country, other states have had well into the thousands of cases, so we're hoping that we don't get there, which is why we do these um, pretty quick and detailed investigations around each case. And then uh, what's what's next for Mississippi as far as, like, you know, uh, making – what are some other steps Mississippi can take to be cleaner, to be uh, safer with food and uh, – or in just the general uh, making sure they're safe with disease? Um, the the biggest thing that I would say for pretty much anything would be wash your hands and practice as uh, as detailed and good hygiene as you possibly can. Um, as, as far as what MSCH is going to be doing for hepatitis A specifically, we've been trying to do some mass vaccination clinics around the state in some of these at-risk populations. And then, again, every time we have a case, we do a thorough contact investigation and offer um vaccine to those who may have been close contacts to each case. Dr. Catherine Taylor is the deputy state epidemiologist. Coming up, universities struggle to compete for faculty and staff. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart devices podcasting platform. This is MPB Think Radio. 
Mississippi is our mission. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi's colleges and universities say they're struggling to compete for highly trained faculty. Mississippi College Board Commissioner Alfred Rankins told the Senate Appropriations Subcommittee that between 2017 and 2019, surrounding states increased their funding for higher education, while Mississippi's declined by nearly 11 percent. Rankins is requesting 10 percent more for colleges and universities, which would put their funding at $733 million for fiscal year 2020. 21. He tells our Desiree Frazier it's vital to support the state's four-year institutions. So additional funding is needed to fund those students from January through the end of the semester. Do you think it's going to be a problem getting those funds? Five million, that's quite a bit. Well, we're hopeful that the legislature will provide those funding, that funding to help support uh, those students. In your presentation, you talked about all the benefits of a college education and what it means to Mississippians. Can you just share for the listeners why these institutions are so vital in your mind? Well, I think uh, uh, as Mississippi goes, I think uh, our universities go. So I think our universities are part of the solution here in our state if we want uh, higher paying jobs, if we want salaries to go up in the state, if we want our communities to thrive and do better and the quality of life of all of our citizens, citizens to increase, I think our universities play a vital role in moving our state forward. And you're looking for more in this year's budget. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, we're looking for more to address some capital needs we have on our campuses and also to address salaries of our faculty and staff on our campuses. Uh, when you compare us to universities in other states across the South, uh, our salaries are lower, and we lose people uh, to other states for more money. So we're asking for additional funding uh, to try to address that issue and retain all of the academic talent possible here in our state of Mississippi. Many state agencies, including the College Board, come before uh, appropriations committees saying that they can't keep their best and brightest, they can't keep talented people in the state because of the salaries. Does Mississippi really have the wherewithal to keep folks because the need is great? Well, I think there's a tremendous opportunity for more revenue to be available here in the state of Mississippi if we increase educational attainment level, particularly at the bachelor's degree or higher, because typically individuals who have higher education, they earn more, they pay more in income tax and sales tax, and that would be more money available in the state's coffers to fund not only our universities, but corrections and some of the other needs that we have here in the state. Again, we are the, the solution in higher ed. Alfred Rankins is the commissioner of the Mississippi College Board.
Presidents of the state's eight universities and colleges discuss the challenges of attracting and retaining faculty. Dr. Gerald Briggs is the president of Mississippi Valley State University. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the lack of competitive salaries and the school's rural location are factors in attracting faculty and staff. The, uh, the data that was presented uh, does show the comparison of what some of the uh, average uh, salaries are at other states. Uh, and so that's, that's, that's where we are. Uh, and definitely that's, that speaks to why we're here today in, in asking uh, for more appropriations so we can continue to be competitive uh, in the higher education fabric. Do you feel like you're competitive right now? Well, I think so. I think we are competitive from an academic standpoint. Uh, I think that our students are getting a quality education, and that degree is definitely something that is valuable. Uh, But at the same time, I think that we do have to address uh, the fact that we want to uh, maintain a a quality uh, faculty and staff. And so uh, pay is competitive, and that's part of the things that we do have to address to assure that we do continue to provide those top quality uh, degrees that we are offering now. Can you describe for people how serious it is trying to get faculty to come to your school? Uh, It's uh, very serious Uh, because, again, when uh, that faculty member can go to another institution at a neighboring state uh, and uh, from the beginning uh, receive a higher higher rate of pay, uh, that is part of their decision-making. So in order to... uh, get them to come to to not only come but to stay, we do have to be competitive, and that has to be uh, part of our mindset going forward. How are you managing that now? How are you recruiting? What do you say to keep people, to get them to come? Well, part of what we say at, at Mississippi Valley State University, obviously coming to an institution like ours, it's about being committed to to what we're doing at the university, understanding that we may not be able to offer those competitive salaries, but at the same time we are providing an education uh, to mostly our our students are coming from the surrounding counties of the Mississippi Delta. And understanding the importance of what that that area is and means is something that, that, that altruistic purpose uh, and so that's what we speak about at Valley, uh, and, and, and that works because, again, our faculty is dedicated to assure our students have a quality education. And the other issue that came up was operation costs. Mm-hmm. Well, sure. I, I think all of our campuses uh, continue. When you have buildings, obviously you're going to have uh, needs, facility needs. And so those things are important that we maintain uh, our facilities because, again, that is part of uh, student satisfaction. If you don't have those quality facilities, then sometimes students uh, aren't receiving uh, that outside the classroom um, dedication. So having quality facilities is also a a very important part of what we do. Did you get an increase last year in your budget? Uh, Yes, we did. Yes, we did. A slight increase. We did. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you. Dr. Gerald Briggs is the president of Mississippi Valley State University. Republican Senator Jennifer Browning of Philadelphia heads the subcommittee that heard from Mississippi's university presidents. She tells our Desiree Frazier she'll take the information presented and work with it throughout the process. I think IHL plays such an important part of Mississippi's economy. So my goal and my plan at this point is to listen to all the statements made during today's hearing and have a lot of information to go through. Take that into consideration and see what we can do to support IHL because in turn it will have long-term positive effects on our economy. 
They talked also about the um, cost of operating and the needs that they have for capital expenditures and that Mississippi spends less than surrounding states on higher education. Your thoughts on that? I've certainly seen those numbers and find that to be true, and I think that's something that we're going to work toward as well to improve those numbers. We want Mississippi to improve in all aspects of our economy, and I think starting with IHL is a very good place to do so. So now we go back to our budget officer here in the Senate. We look at numbers. We also look at projected revenues to see what we are able to do in terms of an appropriation. We formulate those bills. They're then filed in each chamber, and we go through the process from there and see where we land. Senator Jennifer Branding is a Republican from Philadelphia. Coming up, a Mississippi tech company wants the state to invest more in computer science education. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. For moments in black history, we highlight Medgar Wiley Evers. As a lifelong Mississippian, Medgar Evers wanted equality for all of its citizens. Becoming an NAACP field secretary in 1954, he was moving his vision in Jackson and around the entire state. Becoming a real key in the desegregation of Ole Miss, Medgar Evers was a real change agent until his assassination in 1963. We salute Medgar Evers for his vision. You can kill a man, but you cannot kill an idea. This has been MPV's Moments in Black History. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. It was a Super Bowl ad meant to get the state's attention. Thank you, Mississippi, for sending high-paying tech jobs to Alabama. Thank you for not requiring computer science in schools. Georgia did, so growing companies come here instead. Arkansas thanks you, Mississippi. We want those jobs here. Not on our watch. It's time, Mississippi. Help C Spire support computer science for every student. Our jobs, our economy, our kids' future is at stake. The ad is part of a campaign by Mississippi-based tech company Seaspire to motivate legislators, policymakers, and parents to invest more in computer science education. Dave Miller is the senior manager of media relations at Seaspire. He tells our Michael Guidry the time for that investment is now. Well, there's a lot on the line right now. You know, our kids, our economy, our future, uh, everything literally is on the line when it comes to computer science education in our schools. Right now, we only have about 40%, excuse me, 47% of Mississippi public high schools are teaching computer science, which is a key part of most jobs today, as you know, and uh, it'll be even more central to every job tomorrow. So if we don't have computer science being taught in the schools, that means we have weaker skill sets, we have lower income, we have fewer jobs and fewer job opportunities in our state, and our economy is not growing. So, um, and, and, and what's the result of all that? Mississippi falls further behind. We've sort of reached a tipping point in Mississippi where we need to do something bold. We need to do something dramatic in order to move our state forward. Um, we see these large technology companies con- uh, that are nationally based continuing to grow, continuing to expand. And there's no reason why we shouldn't get a major piece of that, not just crumbs, but a major piece. So that's really what this is all about. It's, it's really about moving Mississippi forward, getting computer science and the place where it needs to be in our state and where it is, quite frankly, in a lot of our neighboring states. Uh, they understand the importance of computer science and how having a skilled and educated workforce is an attraction, not only for technology companies for for companies that are interested in relocating or expanding in the state where they're at. 
what data is there that shows that they are making strides where we are not as a state? Okay, so so before I answer that question specifically, um, I want to talk a little bit about how computing occupations are really critical to economic growth and expansion and job development and new job opportunities. If if you look at computing occupations, it's the number one source of all new wages, not just in Mississippi, but across the United States. There are over 500,000 current openings nationwide, over 1,000 in Mississippi, and the numbers are projected to grow at twice the rate of all the other job openings. So you can see that this is a critical area for uh, for Mississippi as well as the rest of the country. As far as what's happening with some of our neighboring states, Alabama has adopted comprehensive computer science legislation that requires every K-12 through school to offer computer science by the 2022-2023 school year. Uh, some of the other, what some of the other neighboring states have done, Georgia has enacted legislation requiring all high schools to offer computer science, and they included a quarter of a million dollars, $750,000 in their budget for computer science teacher professional development. Arkansas just appropriated $2.5 million in funding for their computer science initiative and their computer science education, that's been a requirement in their state since 2015. That's a neighboring state for us. Tennessee has passed legislation to develop a statewide plan for computer science in the K-12 through that includes ensuring public policy, excuse me, public high schools have access to at least one computer science course. So a lot's been going on in it with, with our neighboring states, and they've made some progress. Now, the fact that we don't have computer science curriculum being taught in 47% of our schools, we've got some catching up to do. There's no question about that. We have an opportunity, if we, if we work really hard, if we work together to develop computer science foundational uh, education, and we have the opportunity to change, to really flip the script, to change the narrative about Mississippi. Can you tell us what, what does computer science education look like at the elementary level and maybe at the middle school level that will help with the growth that you're looking for in the state of Mississippi? We're working very closely with the Mississippi Department of Education, with the Mississippi State Research and Curriculum Unit. We don't profess to be professional educators or to know what's age appropriate in terms of instruction, but they do, and we're working with the experts, and we know and we're listening to what they say and what they recommend, and we know that it's really important to provide age-appropriate foundational education and curriculum for in, in, in this, this critical area. So that's what we're really focused on at the elementary school level. You know, we started a couple of years ago a partnership with the Mississippi Children's Museum. They have third and fourth graders, and they do age-appropriate you know, it's a task where they have to write code and they have to, to move this Q robot from point A to point Z. That's an example of where we, we understand that it's not a one-size-fits-all. you got to give opportunities. you got to give choices. you got to have different tracks for kids and for young people to decide where they want to go and how they and, – and, and, and for many kids, it's just going to be learning the basic skills and applying them to any job that they have – when they move forward as an adult. Have, have you identified any allies, specific allies in the legislature that's going to help you push this forward? I think most of our public policy leaders uh, care about future generations and they care about the educational 
uh, attainment of future generations. And you look at uh, the new governor and the platform that he has for workforce development, and you look at the speaker, and you look at the lieutenant governor and the commitment that they have. I think we have a, pl a plenty of policy support for this. And when you look at how impacting computer science is and just about everything we do, when you look at what's happening you know, with, uh, with, with agriculture, agriculture is still the number one industry in Mississippi, but it's becoming, com it's becoming increasingly mechanized. And you know, they're using uh, artificial intelligence, they're using sensors, they're using software to really become more efficient and more effective about using water, about using energy to produce, you know, food and foodstuffs. So computer science is absolutely going to continue to play a huge role, and it's only going to get bigger. Where do you see computer science education in the state of Mississippi in five years? I would hope that what we see is, uh, is common standards, uh, a common uh, approach to you know the foundational principles of computer science in K through 12. Um, you know we're 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 hoping that this is going to be phased in over a several year period, so that all of the the, the uh, young people that are in a part of the K 12 system get an opportunity to be exposed to it at an age appropriate level. Um, we think that this has a tremendous opportunity in the next five to ten years to really revolutionize, to really transform our workforce. Dave Miller. Company spokesman, C Spire, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.